Aren't you thankful for the power of the Word of God? I mean, that's why we teach and preach through this book all the time. That's what we're committed to as a church. Uh, God uses His Word. And aren't you thankful for the power of God? It's through the power of God that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you would take your Bibles and join me there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're continuing our journey through this book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've called this whole series Course Correction because there were a lot of things that needed to be corrected in the church in Corinth. This morning we are continuing on in dealing with the resurrection body. As we came to chapter 15, Paul emphasized how important it is in the gospel that Christ was risen from the dead. Not as a spirit, but he was bodily resurrected. And we, Paul is dealing with those in Corinth, some of whom have denied the resurrection. And we come this morning to verses 35 to 49 in chapter 15. And there we're going to see Paul begins with two questions. Look at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? There are two questions that Paul is going to deal with that the Corinthians are obviously confused about. Number one, how are the dead actually raised? And secondly, what kind of bodies do they have? See, when it comes to the resurrection, there are typically two mistakes that people make. Number one, there are those that believe the resurrection body will be identical to the one that was buried. That's one mistake. Believing that the, the resurrection body we get will be identical to the bodies we have right now. The other mistake is the belief that the resurrection body will be completely unrelated to the original. You see them on the two extremes? Uh, the one teaching is the resurrection body will have will be exactly this body. The other wrong teaching is the resurrection body will be totally different from this body that we have. So Paul is going to clear up through these two questions, how are the dead raised, what kind of body do they have? As he answers those questions, it's going to deal with those two extremes. Now, one of the reasons those extremes existed, even back in the church in Corinth, we talked about last week, the belief of the Greeks. In Greek philosophy, they believed that the body was evil that the spirit that inhabits the body is good. So therefore, they would teach if there is a resurrection body, and they weren't real clear about that. They just believed that when you died, you went off into oblivion. But if there is a resurrection body, it certainly can't be like the one we currently have because that body is evil. Then you had on the other 
hand. The teaching of some of the Jewish rabbis in that day that said that the resurrection body had to be exactly like the one we currently have. And they would often use as support for that the statement being made in Job where Job says, in my flesh I shall see God. So this is how these two extremes, these two wrong teachings about the resurrection body come together. Now, some struggle with the fact of the resurrection body because they know that when this body is buried, what happens to it? It goes back to dust. From dust we came to dust we will return. And so the questions that would be asked and questions that are asked now, I'm asked these questions. Okay, what about someone who's buried at sea and their bodies are eaten by the fish? How are their bodies going to be resurrected? What about cremation? When somebody is cremated and their ashes are scattered, to different places. How are they going to be resurrected? What about the people who are organ donators? You know, so they have given their, their organ, their kidney to somebody else. Uh, what happens with those individual? How can these bodies be raised? One of the examples sometimes that's put out, and this is really extreme, uh, some of you will recognize the name John Wycliffe from Wycliffe Bible Translators, who was committed to translating the, the Word of God. His body was buried in a grave for 12 years. Then they dug him up and burned his body as a heretic, and then he they took his ashes and scattered them over a river, which took them out to the North Sea. So the question is, how is God going to put John Wycliffe back together for a resurrection body? These are the types of questions that are out there. How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they have? Well, first of all, Paul is going to tell us, to get the new, the old must die. To get the new, the old must die. 1 Corinthians 15, 36. You foolish person. Now this is pretty extreme on Paul's part of saying this, because basically the, the actual Greek says, fools. Now, you would say that's not very kind calling somebody a fool. Uh, some have said that what Paul is writing and indicating here is, that's a stupid question. Now, I've always been taught there's no such thing as a stupid question. Have you heard that before? I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> I've heard some questions in my time that I think, uh, I don't say it, but I think it. 
That's a pretty dumb question. What Paul is basically saying, remember, you have those in Corinth who are denying the resurrection. So Paul is basically saying, fools, fools. You know, the, the scriptures tell us that those who reject the gospel view the preaching of the cross as foolishness. The scriptures also tell us it is the fool who has said in his heart that there is no God. And so I think Paul is in midst of all the problems that are there in the church in Corinth, having to straighten out the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. To him, he may be getting a little irritated here when he says, fools to them. You foolish person, what you sow, 1 Corinthians 15, 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Okay, so we start very basic. He's going to talk about the resurrection body here. In order for a body to be resurrected, it has to what? The person has to die in order to be resurrected. You can't be resurrected if you don't die. And so Paul is saying as it comes to the resurrection body, number one, to get the new, the old must die. Secondly, he's then going to give us examples from nature. Follow beginning with verse 37. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Okay, so Paul is going to give three examples from nature to help us understand the resurrection body. Number one, he's going to talk about plants. And as he talks about plants, something that everybody knows, you plant a seed, but you don't expect just to get a seed in return, do you? You plant a seed into the ground, the seed must die in the ground, but from that seed comes a plant. Now, is the plant like the seed? Well, in some ways it is, yes, because it is of the same type of seed. You don't plant, you don't plant corn and expect to get beans. So there is going to be some relationship between the seed that is planted and the plant that you get. But are they different from one another? 
Yes, they are different from one another. So Paul is telling us, in the same way, the resurrection body is going to have some things that are the same, and there are going to be some things that are different. He then uses the example of flesh. And so he says there are different types of flesh. The animals have different types of flesh than human beings do. And even among the animals, there are different types of flesh. You have birds that fly. You have animals that cannot fly. You have fish that swim. All of them from God's creation, but the flesh is different. The animals are different from one another, but it is all flesh. And then he is going to give the example of what Paul calls glories. That there is a difference between heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And we can readily see that. Uh, there's no one here who would say, well, maybe you may say, I'm a star. But you don't mean that in the sense of that you are like a star that is in the sky. And Paul says there is a glory that man has, and there is a glory in the creation that God has made in the skies. And even in the skies, the glory is different from the different objects that are there. You know, you see the sun. Is the sun different than the moon? They both have a glory, but they are different from one another. Are the stars different from the moon? The stars are as well. And even as you look out on a night into the, the sky... Do all the stars look exactly the same? Or are there differences in the stars that you see? So Paul is talking about now examples from God's creation. That there are heavenly beings, there are earthly beings, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and that even the stars differ in their glory. He then is going to go into a comparison of the old and the new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 49. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, what in the world does all that mean? What's it mean? Paul is going to give us a comparison of the old and the new bodies. All right, so first of all, the old. Now remember, he's answering the questions. He's dealing with the two false teachings. One, that this body is exactly the same. The resurrection body will be exactly the same as this body. And on the other hand, hand that the resurrection body will have not will be nothing like this body so he's going to say let's compare the bodies the old is perishable the new is imperishable now what does that mean imperishable talks about being indestructive. Uh, Pastor Ray Pritchard has defined it this way. Our new bodies will be imperishable, indestructible, glorious, beautiful beyond all imagining, powerful with abilities beyond our wildest dreams, and spiritual made for intimate relationship with God. We will be raised with a body that is suitable for our new life. It will last forever with no decay, no wear and tear, no limitations, and no failures or defects of any kind. There will be no physical or mental or emotional handicaps. We will have bodies that are eternally alive. Don't you look forward to that? Don't you look forward? You know, I, I, I can remember when I was younger hearing uh, older people talk about all their aches and pains. You know, their backs hurt. Their knees hurt. Basically, they told me, everything hurts. And I just thought, I just kind of laughed at it. You know, that's crazy. I'm not laughing anymore, folks. I'm not laughing at all. Everything does hurt. Everything does but our new bodies that won't be the case this body is perishable it is going back to the dust the new body is imperishable right this body has dishonor that means imperfection and incompleteness Our new body will have glory. This body has weakness. It is sown in weakness. Now, the perfect picture of that is, what is more weak than a corpse in the grave? It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. The resurrection body will have supernatural power. 
It'll have energy. Uh, we will be able to use all of our faculties to their fullest. That's what's being talked about here. The difference between in weakness and in power. Right. This body, the old body, is a natural body. The new body will be a spiritual body. Now that has been misunderstood by some to say that, that, you know, that the new body will not be physical in nature. Uh, that is not what is meant there. When Paul talks about the new body being spiritual, he's, he's talking about the resurrected body suits a new spiritual life. Just as our present bodies suit us for the environment that we are living in, our new bodies will suit us for the new environment that we will be in. God is going to put us into an, a perfect environment, and our bodies will be suited for that. Remember, when Adam and Eve sinned, the process of death began in them. That process of death will, will be gone. Remember we saw last week, the last enemy to def be defeated is what? Death. So death and the dying process, it will all be gone. That's what it means that our new bodies will be spiritual. We will be suited for a relationship with God forever. Right? This body, the old body comes from the first Adam. Every single human being is a descendant of Adam. The new body will come from the last Adam. And the last Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. The old body came first. The new body comes second. The old body comes from dust. The new body comes from heaven. Just think even in creation. Adam was created from the dust. When Jesus came to earth, that was not his beginning. He existed before that in heaven. So, I hope you can see here, there are similarities in the resurrection body, and there are differences in the resurrection body. Both are true, and Paul is trying to clear this up, but he wants everyone to know how important this is going back in relationship to the gospel. What is the gospel? That Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. That is whereby we are saved. And... Because that is how we are saved, 
as Craig was talking about earlier, the truth. Jesus is the truth. And the truth is that there is salvation only in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But when we put our faith and trust in him, we have this salvation that is given to us. And we have the hope of the resurrection. Just as Christ has raised, we will be raised. Benjamin Franklin, not a Christian. But certainly, Benjamin Franklin knew the gospel. You know, sometimes in his writings, you will hear that he listened to preachers like John Whitfield. And so he heard the gospel. He knew the gospel. When he was a young man, Benjamin Franklin wrote an epitaph that he intended to be on his tombstone, but later decided not to have it on his tombstone. This is what it said. The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out, and the strip of the lettering and gilding lies here, food for worms, but the work shall not be wholly lost. For it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. Benjamin Franklin knew the truth of the resurrection. He just never committed himself to the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now this morning we're going to do something we don't normally do. Uh, Sean, can you guys get me a microphone back there? I want to give you an opportunity this morning in the time that we have. Thank you. I've got Craig's. Thank you. I know there may be a lot of questions about resurrection bodies. So if you have questions this morning, we have a little bit of time left in the service, uh, we'll deal with your questions this morning. Does anybody have a question about the resurrection body? Okay, stand up, tell everybody who you are in your question. Okay, hello everyone, my name is John. Uh, My question is, what about raptured bodies? What will happen to a raptured body because it doesn't go through death? Okay, good question. They will be translated, not resurrected. The people who are alive. Obviously, the dead people who go in the resurrection, they will get their resurrection bodies. Uh, But for those who are alive, they will be changed as they're caught up into the air. Will be changed in a moment. Matter of fact, Paul talked about that a little bit further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it's just a difference between, they're still going to get a new body, but you can't call it a resurrected body if they haven't died. Okay. Other questions? It's a good one. Larry Hanagoski, and the question is, uh, 
when Moses and Elijah appear with Christ on the mountain, they're back in bodies like we have because they could be recognized by uh, Peter and, and the other. So what, how does that all fit in? Okay, another excellent question. What about people who have died, but the resurrection hasn't occurred yet? You know, and we, we've talked about that for people who die, they're absent, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and they do not get their resurrection bodies until Jesus comes back. And I believe there are different resurrections as well for Old Testament saints, the church, and at other times. It appears, now I can't be dogmatic on this, but it appears that they are in some type of temporary body from now until they're reunited with this body uh, resurrected. You say, well, why would you say that? Well, first of all, the example, Larry, that you've given of Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples saw them. They saw uh, Moses and Elijah there with the Lord. So there's something that they're seeing. Now, what they saw was pretty impressive, though, in that body. And this kind of gives us a cue to what our new resurrection bodies might be like. Uh, because when they're coming down from the mountain, you know, they said, hey, why don't we build three places of worship? One for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you. So they're pretty impressed by what they saw. The other passage that I would turn to and speak about and I know there's disagreement among Bible uh, teachers whether the story of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man is taken to Abraham's bosom, but the, the uh, Lazarus is taken to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man finds himself being in Hades. And if you listen to the language in that, which I believe is a true story, not a parable, but the rich man asked that Lazarus would take his finger and dip it into the water and place it on his tongue. Uh, spirits don't have fingers and tongues. And so, so I think there is some type of temporary body that people are in until they are actually resurrected. Another, that was an excellent question. Other questions? Okay. Uh, so I just graduated from the University of Akron, electrical engineering, and they stuck me through a whole bunch of courses like philosophy. In your eyes, what is the breath of God and what is consciousness? These questions are just stuck in my brain now after going through the, all those courses. Like we're talking about bodies, consciousness, what is that in your eyes? Because I feel like theory can go so far, but the pastors, they know more on these questions than, because those guys don't know anything, honestly, in philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all your yeah. teachers out there. Yeah. To, your present, to your professors who are present in our service this morning <laughs> that, that know nothing. Uh, <laughs> I know it's a very out there question, but how do you see the breath of God? That, well, that was given to Adam and Eve. 
it's what made them living beings was God breathing into them. God is the source of life. And so since God is the source of life, that breath that is that they had that each of us have is an indication of our life. Now, when it when it comes to consciousness and look, I'm not a big student of philosophy. Uh, and, you know, there, uh, I, I know there's things, well, how can we know this is real? How can we know that is real? Uh, first of all, you know you exist, right? Yeah. Well, how do you know that? How, how, how do I know that you're just not a figment of my imagination sitting here? And, and all of us are just... It, it, I, the, the reality is, th- this is, this is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Corinthians. People become fools in their search after wisdom. And denying the truths of what is revealed in God's word. Uh, There is within each and every one of us, I believe the scriptures teach, a consciousness that tells us that God exists. God is, God is, God is. Creation witnesses to us that God exists. And you put all of that together with the witness that God has given us in his word. And I think that answers our questions for us. It starts with, what is your source of authority? This is at the fountain. What is it that is the source of your authority? If the word of God is the source of our authority, then what it says we accept as true and we move on from there. When we reject that, everything's open game. If the word of God is not true, then anything could be true. And people are going to come up with all these different ideas. I hope that answers your question. That's the best I can do. (laughs) Other questions? Okay, I see a question way back here. Yeah, go ahead so they can get you on camera. Oh. <laughs> I'm Tammy, and I've often wondered about uh, unborn babies and children. Um, do they, are their bodies going to be resurrected as infants and children, or what age will they be? What will they be for eternity? I've often wondered that. I'm going to give you a clear, definitive answer on that. I don't know. (laughs) The Bible doesn't say. Now, I have a hard time believing that there are going to be babies for eternity. Yeah, because, you know, we we are going to be all that God intended us to be in that resurrection. And so I don't think God's plan for them was, you know, for them to remain babies for eternity. Well, someone will say, well, well, how will I know? How will I know them? I 
I think of those who, you know, maybe you're struggling because in your past you had an abortion or, and you've got sorrow in your heart. At, or maybe even I know a number of ladies in this church have experienced miscarriages. Uh, some of you more than, than just one or even two. I believe that when you see your children in heaven, whatever developmental their, their body is in, and I think they'll probably be full-grown adults in that thing, you will know them. You say, well, how can that be true? Well, let me ask you this. How did they know that it was Elijah and Moses that was talking with Jesus? None of the disciples had ever seen Elijah or Moses. None of them had ever seen a picture of Elijah and Moses. They just knew it was Elijah and Moses. And so I think God is going to give us that knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to know everything in heaven. Common mistake is that in our resurrection bodies, we will know absolutely everything. Only God is omniscient. We are not God. We'll know more than we know now, but we are not going to be omniscient and know everything. So that's the best I can do with your question, Tammy. Any other questions? These are good. Check this out. We got about three minutes. So. Um, hi, I'm hi. Ian. Uh, I was wondering what made God and Jesus reveal himself at the time period he did? Why did he not cement his faith at cement his rule and faith at an earlier time? Why did he come during this such rough time and very gruesome time period. Okay. Why did Jesus come when he came is basically your, your question, as opposed to coming earlier or maybe even coming later than he did. Uh, the Apostle Paul writing says, in the fullness of time, Christ came forth. So I can't tell you, you know, I can tell you of things that made that a good time for the Savior to come, there was anticipation. There was all kinds of things that came together. But God, in his infinite wisdom, knew what the exact best time would be for Jesus to come. And so God had a plan that we see revealed even through the Old Testament of everything leading up to his birth, the events of his life, and then what's to occur from then till now, and then what is to happen off in the future. None of this is just happening by accident. God has an exact plan that is being followed, and nothing has taken him by surprise or will take him by surprise. So the best I can do with that is the scriptures say, in the fullness of time, God chose a perfect time for Christ to come. You have a follow-up on that? So everything is maybe not predetermined, but God will truly know everything and that our paths and what has happened and will happen is fully knowledgeable. There is no ifs, whats, 
what happens is happened based off his word. Yeah. There is nothing that God doesn't know. That's, that's the doctrine of omniscience of God, that he knows not only everything that has happened, he knows everything that will happen, and he knows everything could, that could have possibly happened. We are finite beings trying to understand an infinite God who knows everything. There is nothing he does not know. And there is nothing that just happens by accident that God is in control of everything that is happening as well. And now someone will say, and so we'll run out there, well, what about man's responsibility? You know, what about the choices that we make? Well, when you figure that all out and put that all together, you will have done something that I don't believe any follower of Christ has ever been able to fully understand in this lifetime. Maybe we'll understand it in the next lifetime. But God has incorporated into all that he's done the choices that he knows that men are going to make. And that is still worked. You know, nothing catches God by surprise. God is not in heaven wringing his hands, waiting to see what you and I are going to do. Uh, that's not our God. He's the all-powerful, uh, omniscient God. Okay, I need to close at this point. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do look forward to the resurrection bodies that you are going to, to give to us, Lord. Father, we long for that. We long to be reunited with our loved ones. We long to see you face to face. Just as Job said that he knew that his Redeemer lived and that he would see him. We long to see him, Lord. And Father, we just pray this morning, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they might turn to him and they might follow him. For this we pray in our Savior's name. Amen.